The title for this morning's talk is The Theatre of the Eye. It's the title that conjures up the image of the eye, the ego, acting out its lines in front of an audience. Certainly, the term theater implies that much. But the term theater can also be interpreted simply as a theater, the arena of operation. Period. In this talk, I'll review this contrasting ways of seeing ourselves in the theater of the world. The first part, I'll examine the consequences of seeing ourselves as performers for an audience. I could see myself right now as trying to impress you. And therefore, you come to the next retreat or whatever, not just for the food, as <laughs> people are known to have done here. In the second part, I'll review the other option. Seeing ourselves in the world simply as being in the theater of operation, period. what I mean by seeing ourselves as performers, I want to share with you four different stories. They are, I should say, very blatant, sort of extreme illustrations, but surely they bring the point home. First story is about a group of teenage boys in Lakewood, California that constituted what they call the Spur Pussy. Kind of a gang. The point of this gang was for the boys to compete with each other to see who would have had sex with the most girls. Different girls, of course, in a fixed period of time. After four years, I decided to call a winner. And that was Billy, having total score of 66. Maybe not astronomical by today's standards, but who knows. The story at the time, this was maybe 10 years ago, hit the airwaves. And Billy was asked to explain his motivation. He said, 
you've got to get your image out there. What's the point? The second story concerns a far more prestigious individual. It concerns Admiral Bourdin, who a decade ago became the supreme commander of the U.S. Navy. At that time, a relatively small item in his career came into question. Apparently, he had been wearing some decorations from the Vietnam War. And the question was not whether he earned them, but whether, according to the rules and regulations, he was entitled to wear them. And to this day, I don't know that anybody has defined clearly whether he was or was not entitled. At the time, Newsweek asked for an interview with him. But the interview never took place. He killed himself right hours before the interview. The suicide note was never made public, but from what has transpired, his motives were explained there, and they included his sense that he cared very much about how he would be viewed. At his memorial service, the speaker stated that the admiral, admiral I quote, had dedicated his adult life to fashioning a good name. So, another extreme example, perhaps, of life as a theater for performance. The third story I got from a book by Rodney Smith, Lessons from the Dying is a title of the book. Here's a story. It's about a comedian. Several years ago, there was an interview with a noted comedian who was famous for his vocal imitations. After several sessions, the interviewer grew frustrated with the comic because he never spoke from his own voice. 
Whenever he was questioned, he would fall into one of his verbal impersonations and speak like that character. Finally, the interviewer requested the comedian to answer in his own voice. The man tried, but ended up saying that he was not sure anymore which sound was his own. The fourth story, a little bit along the same lines, but with a different ending, concerns a, a mime that I greatly admire, a French mime called Jean-Louis Barrault. Sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, wrong. Wrong name. I was thinking of Jean-Louis but it isn't Jean-Louis It's Marcel Marceau. He was, he performed, I also saw this skit, in fact. He performed a skit called The Mask Maker. The skit opened with The Mask Maker creating smiling and frowning masks in his shop. Using no props, the man changed his face to appear as if different masks were being tried on. After putting on and taking off several masks, the smiling mask unexpected, got stuck in his face, couldn't get it out. He attempted in desperation to pull it off as the audience viewed a smiling, grinning face and a body struggling with the pain of tearing the mask off. Finally, the mask maker was able to rip the happy mask off his face, disclosing the wretched distress and fear under the mask. So th these are extreme characters, if you wish, of the theater stage for performing, but they do reflect how this tendency to perform affects our lives. Take, take the story of the spurposy. For each of us, there is this tendency, isn't there? For myself, Raquel knows that well. Well, I tend to do it jokingly. Tendency to turn each situation into a contest. Be it for sex, as in that case, for beauty, 
for sports, of course. I mean, that's what sports are supposed to be about. For making money, whatever. Well, try, uh, uh, consider the story of Admiral Buda trying to make sure he played his role to perfection. He killed himself just because a little detail in his curriculum was questioned. Notice how often we tend to fall for that sort of tendency. As a parent, as a friend, as a partner, as a student, as a teacher too, here, here. And, and there is a difference, isn't there? Between seeking perfection in order to collect the brownie points or, or even polish our obituary, if you want to look at the ultimate, or on the other hand, doing it simply because it brings well-being to us and to others. Well, consider the voice of the comedian. Of course, the tone of voice does matter very much. Not just the words of what we say, but the tone of voice. But is it just for the impression we'll make on others? Or is it because it reflects our authentic mood? You know, we can ask to, of ourselves this sort of question if, if we ever go to those sites. I, I've never had, but I know there are plenty of them, sites on the internet where you're offered a whole battery of personality tests to find out who you are in order to find uh, the right job, the right partner, whatever. What do we do in those cases? Do we fill in the blanks, trying to create an impression on the potential employer or partner or whatever? Is that our, our goal? Probably, that's what those tests are meant to. Or do we really reflect the truth of who we are, who we feel we are? And this choice between authenticity and performance that's constantly facing us in daily life also indeed comes up here on retreat. 
the choice of being with what is or trying to fabricate what we'd like to be. Sure, you know, the guy sitting here in front and instruction, giving instruction, tells us to pay attention to what's actually going on. But time and time again, the mind feels prey to these ingrained addictions. And use the practice, or try to use the practice, to construct yet another identity. This time to perform not in front of a public, but to perform in front of ourselves. I am the good meditator. I am the conqueror of pain and distraction. Doesn't always work. And when we, it doesn't work. We still have the flip side. We create an identity around what a lousy meditator I, I am. Oh, I'm the victim of pain, distraction, whatever. We do that in meditation, sure. But the redeeming feature in meditation is that, unlike the habitual situation, we have also space for awareing, for becoming aware. There's a clearing there in our sitting. Suddenly, a clear opens up, and we notice what we're doing. So the problem is not with the doing. If we notice it, we learn from us, from that. As we create suffering for ourselves, we can see ourselves creating it. As we become free, as we feel at times, we can see this alternative. This is an interview I had in retreat once with a woman who had, uh, so a couple of years ago, a couple of years before then, sorry, lost her husband to another woman. And she said to me, the two of them took away my story. The beauty of this is that by saying that, with all the pain that that entailed, she also opened the door for the obvious. I don't know for sure that she's gone through that door, but she opened the door. At least she reached for the latch of the door. The obvious is if she dropped the attachment to the story, she's free. The pretty simple, 
And then the, the curtain can come down on the last performance of that play. So much then for the theater of performance. Let's now talk about the alternative. What happens if we finally drop as well as we can? or take power away from the theater of performance, the theater of performance. Of course, we continue to act, to function in, in that same arena, in the arena of the world, which includes the outer world, all that's part of our life, and also includes our inner world. We may even be doing the same thing, but the intention is completely different. And that different intention gives the tone of our actions. Let me share with you a story of something that happened to Raquel and me. I mean, we in our travel some a decade ago or so. We were spending several months in Bali, Indonesia. And a friend of ours invited us to a party. We were the only foreigners in this party in a relatively isolated area of Bali. And this party was at the home of uh, what they call the Dalang. Let me talk a little bit about Dalang. Dalang in English is translated as shadow puppeteer. In other words, a, a puppeteer works with shadow puppets. Shadow puppets, you know, are cut out and led actually, and then there's a screen, an illumination behind, so the shadow of the puppet is seen on the screen from the other side. And uh, uh, by the way, um, Dalangs are much more than puppeteers. And, Indonesian culture, certainly in Bali as well, which is part of Indonesia. Uh, they are spiritual leaders. I've always been amazed that uh, the main shadow puppet performances in Indone and throughout Indonesia occur throughout the night throughout the night. So you go there, whatever, at uh, 8, 9 
in the evening and you come out at five, six in the morning. Uh, this tells something about the dimension that's explored there. It's not just about ideas. It's almost like as profound as our dreams are. Anyway, the Dalang in this visit that we made was doing a performance for a children's party. A child's birthday, actually. And although I didn't understand a word of Balinese, I was impressed by the virtuosity of his performance. You could see that he, he knew exactly what he was doing, and the kids were fascinated. At the end of the performance, We all went out, and Raquel and me following the rest, and walked uh, to a nearby temple, an outdoor temple as they tend to be in Bali, with little pavilions, but most of the space is open space. Manuel, our friend, said uh, to Raquel and me, Look, why don't you follow the Dalai? It'd be interesting. So the Dalai went to a little corner of this area, pulled out his puppets, which he was carrying, and, and started to go through some strange motions and mumble some things. I have to admit that I was disappointed. You know, there's no performance there for me to watch. But he was at it quite a while, and he was quite earnest at it. So later on, I asked Manuel, now, friend, what was that about? Ah, he said, the Dalai was doing it for the gods. It was a revelation. You see, for the true gods, which for me are the gods inside, but doesn't matter whether they're inside or outside. I don't know how they saw the gods. They are everywhere, really, no difference. When you are performing for the gods, you don't have to show off. <laughs> they know you <laughs> inside out. But you put all your, your spirit in it. And and to do that, you don't have to demonstrate. The gods get it. You get it. It's exactly what we do here. We are performing for the gods, not necessarily that 
fellow sitting out there was, sure, it's a prophet too. But we are performing for us. The only theater in this performance for the gods, or whatever you call it, the only theater, the only arena there is, is that in which we open to awareness. It's our awareness that is the audience, the public, in that non-performance. True, it's quite appropriate at times to also perform for others. And as the Dalang did in the birthday party, of course. Nothing wrong with doing it. But the priority has to be with our own authenticity. In other words, what matters is not showing off, but showing up. I was talking yesterday about uh, the Buddha's action on the night of, night of his enlightenment when he, as he was sitting, well, it wasn't yet the Buddha, it was Siddhartha Gautama, about to become the Buddha, because Buddha means enlightened being, um, as he signaled, touched the earth, actually. I gave it one reading last night, and, and there are many readings possible. The reading that fits this talk, a beautiful reading to me, to my mind, is that he was doing it for the gods. In fact, literally, the story says that he was visited by Mara, Mara, the devil, but the, it's also a deity. It's also a god, if you wish. He was showing up and touching the earth. Not in any way showing off. There was nobody to show off to. It was so much like the story of the Dalai to me. Such is the essence of our practice. Showing up, opening our hearts, letting life with all its pain and its bliss touch us, and also showing up by taking appropriate action at times when it's appropriate, of course, absolutely, not to deny that. The key audience in our practice, of course, like for the Dalang, like for the Buddha in the light of night of his enlightenment, 
is an internal one. That's the audience, an internal one. Ourselves. Action is not for acting out anymore. Showing up is not for showing off. The key witness is our own awareness. By simply and fully showing up for life, we give up any sense of ownership about our life. And we come to discover an unparalleled sense of freedom. Even the, the power of the possibility of death the certainty of death eventually for each one of us loses its power to threaten us in any way. We own nothing, so there's nothing we can lose. And we do begin to open up to what's difficult, which is the recognition of the relentlessness of change. Change in ourselves, in others, in our children, in our partners, in our parents, in all the world around us. And instead of fighting this change, denying this change, we show up for it. And we allow the awareness of that to transform us. There's a lovely poem by my favorite poet, Don Pablo Neruda like to share parts of it with you. That has to do with this. The title in Spanish is El Niño Perdido. But I'll do it in English, don't worry. The Lost Child. Who was I? What was I? What were we? There is no answer. We happened. We were not. We kept on being. Other feet, other hands, other eyes. Everything kept changing leaf by leaf on the tree. And you? Your skin changed. Your hair. Your memory. <laughs> You were not that other one. The other one was a child who passed running after a river, after a bicycle, 
and with movement, your life was gone with that moment. A false identity walked in your footsteps. From the woods I arrived in the city, gas, cruel faces, taking stock of my being and my size. I arrived among women who sought themselves in me as if I had lost them. Child of the pure child, until nothing was as it had been. And suddenly, they appeared in my face, the face of a stranger. And it was also I. It was a growing I. It was a growing you. It was everything but we change. We no longer knew who we were. And at times, we remember the one who lived in us, and we ask him something, perhaps to remember us, to know at least that we were he, that we speak with his voice. But across the used-up ears, he looks at us and doesn't recognize us. So there's this incessant change in our life. I think Neruda dramatizes it quite vividly. And so, here's our choice once again. If we are intent on freezing things up and staying put, we have to drop the real reality of change and just cling to our image, what we show off. Try to freeze things that way. It doesn't work. I guarantee it doesn't work. I've tried it. We all try it. But we keep repeating it. It's a futile attempt to prevent change, to keep change from happening. It's happening anyway. You only cover it up. Wisdom offers us the only viable alternative. And that is to show up for the flow of life. And death. It just sit for a few minutes, please. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.